0: So today we're going to be talking about what it is to be in Christ. Uh, before we pray, before we get into it, though, I'd like to share a little bit of a story. Um, my wife and I moved from the Chicago area to Portland, Oregon in 2004, in May of 2004, uh, and we drove. We drove all our possessions, well, our meager possessions across the country in the back of an F-350 uh, and a little two-door sports coupe, and because we were taking two different cars we wanted to make good time and be safe, we invited two friends to come with us. Uh, I got my good buddy, Sean, to ride with me in the truck, and Raylene's friend, um, Rachel, I think it was Rachel, um, was in the car uh, with her. And uh, how many of you have driven that drive from Chicago to the West Coast? It's long, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, when would you say you start climbing towards the Rockies? Like Minnesota, it feels like it's forever, right? And South Dakota, there's a little pitch. Then you hit Montana, there's a little bit more pitch. But you're approaching the Rockies for days. You can see them in the distance for days. And um, and we got to the Rocky Mountains, and we got out at like a A rest stop or something, and Sean and Raylene and I were like, wow, this is amazing. We're in these huge mountains. Oh, it's Kristen, not Rachel. And Kristen looks at us, and she goes, eh. And we're like, eh? She's like, I thought they'd be bigger. And we're like, you thought they'd be bigger than this? I mean, we've been driving to them for days. We've seen them for days ahead of us, and now we're finally in them, and you can feel the air is thin, and you can look up, and there's still peaks around you, and she's like, they always look so impressive in the textbooks, and now that I'm here, it's like they're nothing. Isn't that, isn't that funky? And what's funny is, is it's all about the perspective that we have when we approach things and when we behold things, right? We can be guilty of the same thing. How long have you lived here at the beach How often did you go to the beach when you moved here? How often do you go now? Now, some of us are frequently, frequently at the beach, right? It's one of our favorite parts of living here, but many of us, myself included, are like, Oh yeah, there's an ocean just over there. I forgot all about that. You know, we go about our busy lives and there's this incredible, beautiful creation of God right over here that inspires millions to wonder and awe and worship Him. And, and yet we just drive up and down the highway and we go to Jack's and we go to the pharmacy and we drive to Astoria. And the thing that the ocean causes us is co- inconvenience because when the king tides hit and the wind is blowing, we can't go where we want to go. Uh, and yet, really, we have this awesome thing right over here because it's all about our perspective that changes how we perceive the power and the wonder of the things that we behold well the same thing is true about being in christ over 128 times in the new testament it talks about being in christ being in god being in the lord being in the holy spirit and like two times it refers to us as christians and often we take on the label of being a christian but we forget that the reality is that we are in Christ when we believe in Jesus and that being in Christ is actually everything, right? Like it defines your whole life. Whether you're in Him yet or not, it's the marking factor that will determine your eternity and even determines your present realities in your relationship with the Lord. And so today as we look at our, uh, the fact that we're in Christ through Galatians 3.27 and a bunch of other verses, I'm hoping that you will consider how do I perceive being in Christ? What does this mean to me? Are you like Kristen with the Rocky Mountains? Are you like the rest of so many of us who are right near the ocean but forget the wonder and the awe? Or do you see it and you go, wow, that is true of me for all eternity. So before we study God's word today, uh, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for our time of worship together. It is so precious that we can come And that we can praise you, that you are worthy of honor and praise, and that somehow, as we glorify you, as you are revealed, it's like our souls are nourished and strengthened. We receive boldness and encouragement, and we just praise you for that, that worship is so good for us. We thank you for our three brothers in Christ who were baptized today because of their faith, and we thank you for the encouragement that it is when others stand and say, I believe in Jesus, and I will follow Jesus. And Father, we pray that right now that you would be with us as we seek Jesus. You'd help us to understand him more, that you would help us to perceive and know the power of his love towards us and his strength towards us. Father, we pray that your word would be true in our hearts, not just true on paper, not just true in our knowledge, but true in the way that we live. Would the way we walk be shaped by what we learn, what we know, and what we remember today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen so first question do you know how awesome it is to be in christ amen good 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 well i hope you know it more by the end of today it's amazing it's amazing that god doesn't just say i'm going to save you and i'm going to keep you over there right how many of you have rescued an animal from outside that's like muddy and gross and yucky what do you do with that animal at first you got to wash it up, right? Why? It's dirty. It's gross. Yeah. Do you bring it close right away? No? Why not? Not just because it's dirty. What else? It smells. Are feral animals trustworthy? I mean, kittens can be cuddly, but feral cats? Yeah, yikes, right? And we know that inside of every cat, no matter how cuddly and puffy they look, is that feral cat inside that one minute can be purring and rubbing your face with its face and the next minute can be eating your nose with its face. Right? Not to be trusted, the feline persuasion. And so, uh, you know, we've got this reality, this experience that we have when we rescue things that that are dangerous and, and dirty, we tend to keep them over there, right? Until we're sure they're safe and clean and nice and trust is earned. But what's crazy about the Lord is he looks at us. He sees us in everything that we are, right? He knows all of the goodness in us and he knows our flaws perfectly. He knows that we're not really safe. He knows that we betray other people, that we gossip, that we're unfaithful, that we're conniving and self-centered and we can be manipulative, right? And that's all Monday morning before you eat your frosted flakes. And he sees you and he knows you and yet he loves you so that when you are saved, he draws you near instantly. And he says, you are near me and I am near you. And he says, you are unified with me through the Son. Isn't that awesome? And when we're baptized in Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are in Christ and we're united with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. The reality is, is when you put your faith in Christ, you're united to God. Isn't that wild? How many of you are NFL draft fans? You pay attention to what's going on with the draft. You know the verticals. You're watching ESPN 12 or whatever as it happens live. And you're really excited about who has what pick. Why are all those people chosen for the NFL? They're good. good. Are they better than you and I at football? Absolutely. They're worth choosing. Why does God choose you? Do you have an awesome vertical? Can can you run 100 meters in like 3.4 seconds or whatever it is that they run in. Can you take down a man who weighs 400 pounds and manhandle him on the line? Some of you are like, I can't on the right day, right? (laughs) You were chosen in Christ not because you are worthy and good enough, right? Like, who are you that you would add anything to God? I don't mean to beat you up. You're special. You're made in the image of Christ. He sees you and loves you and knows you. But the reality is is God doesn't need us, right? Like he doesn't look over the face of the earth and be like, I just need one more person on my team so that my plan can be accomplished according to my will. No, the opposite. He can do it, right? All on his own. But he chooses to include you and unite you to Christ because he wants to give you himself. And he is awesome and he is powerful and he is able to accomplish it. Now, the funny thing is is in America, we tend to have theology of strength. What are your strengths? What are your spiritual gifts, which we're talking about? It's good to know these things. And then we take confidence in those things. But the reality is, is all of those strengths have been put in you by God, and all of those strengths accompany weaknesses. And we tend to cover up those weaknesses. We certainly don't want to dwell in those weaknesses, but we know that even once we're in Christ, we're still imperfect. We have chinks in our armor, and there's weakness in our character, and there's mistakes that we seem to make over and over again. Because we're united with Christ, we can actually boast in our weakness. I mean, isn't that incredible? Can you imagine the NFL, if it was in Christ? Before the pregame, it'd be like, you know, last game really stunk for Aaron Rodgers. He was terrible on the field. You could see he was indecisive. He didn't complete very many passes. His pass percentage completion was below 30%. He had a couple of pick sixes. He allowed himself to be sacked. After the game, he blamed his wide receivers for his poor performance. What is going on with this guy? But you know what? I have confidence in Christ that his strength will be greater than the weakness of Aaron Rodgers today. (laughs) doesn't happen that way, does it? We don't roll that way, do we? We don't think about that. And we don't even do that with each other in the church. I see the distance sometimes between us. I've experienced the the farness of fellowship instead of the nearness of fellowship before because someone's disappointed in me or because I'm disappointed in them. And you know what's happening? I'm having an inadequate theology of weakness and grace in that moment. And I have forgotten that they are in Christ with me. See, Christ doesn't just unite us with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. He unites us as a spiritual family so we can have grace with each other in weakness rather than just in our strength. See, Christ changes everything about the way we live, about who we are, and what we get to do with our lives. And I want you to understand that today as we study God's Word. In Galatians 3.27, Paul writes this. He says, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Those of you who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Paul is painting a picture for the Galatian church. They're struggling to understand what is grace, what gives us good standing with the Lord, what it means to live a righteous life. They're confused. They've grabbed a hold of religion again. They found Jesus. They found grace. They found forgiveness. But they're like, well, maybe, maybe we still need the Old Testament laws to make us righteous. Maybe we need to watch what we eat, be careful what we wear. Uh, maybe some of us need to have our bodies altered to demonstrate our faith through circumcision. And Paul is writing them, he's saying, no, no, you don't need the law to clothe you before God. You don't need any of your own righteous acts because as many of you is, have been baptized into Christ, which he's talking about belief in Christ at this point in time, you've been clothed with Christ. You've been wrapped in Christ. And so God sees you in Christ and in Christ alone. There's nothing else that you need to do to know God and be unified with God. See, each of us, this is me, that's my name. You know, I thought about writing us, but I want to be really clear. It's actually specifically people who believe in Christ. So I wrote my name because I know I believe in Christ. And many of you do as well. Each of us live life. And we're in the world at first, and we're in our sin, and the Bible says that we're dead to God. We're spiritually dead, right? But when we put our faith in Christ, Jesus comes along, and He wraps us in Himself completely. We get put in christ and now when god looks at us he sees us in jesus and everything that is true about jesus is true about us we're clothed in christ i might make a mistake i might sin i might wander from the lord but that whole time my standing before god is that i am in christ because it's Christ who wraps me up. It's Christ who holds on to me. This in Christ thing defines me eternally and in the Lord even more than my own sense of identity, my own choices, my own success, my own failure. It defines me more than what other people think about me, what's on my resume, what's in my bank account, how clean or messy my house is. None of those things define me anymore. This fact that I'm in Christ defines me. This is my new normal. I'm in Christ now. I'm not on my own, even if I forget that I'm there. That's a really awesome thing. You know, on your chairs, you, you have a, a yellow sheet like this, right? You have a yellow sheet like this, and, and it's blank. I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to put your name on there, that yellow sheet. And, and later, We're going to talk about what to do with that yellow sheet as we conclude the sermon. But put your name on the yellow sheet too. The other piece of this is that there's a a reality that we need to understand. There are two places that you can be existentially, right? Not physically, but existentially, sort of on a spiritual level that impacts your psyche and your emotions. The first is in the world, and the second is in Christ. So in the world is really similar to exactly like it sounds. The world, where we live, and the earth systems, right? So we're all born in the world, and we live in the world. But there's a spiritual reality that the Bible talks about, about that world. It says that it's not just a physical world, but it's a spiritual world. And that world, according to Ephesians 2, is ruled over by who? Satan. Satan. Yeah, it's a spiritual world, not just a physical one. And that world is dominated by satan and his forces he has dominion over it temporarily given by the lord authority to work in the world and he reigns over the world and the world systems but in first john god is very clear that whole world is passing away and everything that is in the world is passing away but then we have this option when we put our faith in to put our faith in christ and when we do we're no longer in the world but in christ okay So if you put your faith in Christ, you're no longer spiritually in the world, you're spiritually in Christ. That means your whole life and everything in it isn't fading away. Instead, it's everlasting and eternal. In John 6, I think it's verse 37, it could be 47, Jesus says, the one who believes me has everlasting life. In Colossians 1, it says that the the one who believes in Christ is transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son who God Loves, right? So you're removed from the world and you're now in Christ. So I want you to think for yourself have you put your faith in Christ? Have you been removed from the world and put in Christ so that you have everlasting life and your life isn't just fading, isn't going to perish? Uh, This is a a famous ship. It's called the Titanic. Some of you might be familiar with it. Uh, It was an incredible luxury yacht. It was the finest cruise ship that was ever made right and then this happened so that the day that this was embarking on its cruise across the Atlantic everybody wanted to be on that right and everybody wanted to be in those excellent cabins with amazing views and wanted to be eating in the dining rooms with fine china and the best fare that they could get the best eating on the on the planet that they could bring into that giant cruise ship at the time everybody was envious of that but we all know the end of this right we know that it failed how many people do you think were glad they weren't on the titanic like they wanted to be at that point in time the bible says the world is a lot like the titanic it's really appealing it looks incredible i mean i don't know if you've noticed but there's lots of good in the world and god made it that way i mean we're we're made to have pleasure and enjoy the world Uh, think of this What lovely smells have you smelled today? Was there bacon cooking in the kitchen this morning? Did your wife put on some perfume, your husband some cologne? Did you come to church and you were pumping coffee and you smelled the amazing aroma? It's lighting up pleasure centers in your mind because God made the world to be good and made you to have pleasure while you live on this earth. And yet it's very easy for all of us to forget that life is more than the pleasures of this world. And yet, naturally, we're born and we think that those pleasures in the world are going to meet the cravings of our soul. And you know what? They seem to for a little while. I remember being really satisfied at 18 years old. You remember being 18 when you knew everything and you were so strong and life was wonderful and everything was going in your direction? Maybe that didn't happen for you at 18, but it felt like that to me. I just remember feeling so satisfied in myself in my life, and in the world. I didn't need anything. I had everything that I wanted and more. It's not that my life was perfect, mind you, right? Like my family still had dysfunction and all of that. But really, I I had had a girlfriend. I was gonna go to college. I had money. I owned a car. I could eat what I wanted, when I wanted, where I wanted, and be with people that I wanted. And when you're an 18-year-old guy, that's a lot, right? There's a lot of satisfaction in that. But what I didn't realize is that my soul wasn't really satisfied. I was just comforted by the things of this world. And then by the time I was 19 and a half, I was realizing that there was something more, something that wasn't right inside. And I didn't know what that was because I didn't know the Lord. But then in September of 2000, remember the year 2000 was a long time ago, uh, I met the Lord and I found this fulfillment in my soul. I left the Titanic and I entered into Christ. When was that moment for you? Do you remember the joy of your salvation at that point in time? Do you remember understanding Jesus and how much he loved you and how good that was for you in that moment? Me too. I hope you treasure that and think on that often. The first thing, I I already mentioned this, but I I want you to understand that when you believe in Jesus, you're immediately in Christ. You don't have to do anything to earn being in Christ. You don't have to like send Jesus a self-addressed stamped envelope in 1699 to receive a certificate later that you're now in Christ. In that very moment you believe, you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom God loves. But there's some other blessings that I would like us to understand about being in Christ. And all of these fall under the heading of this. When you are in Christ, what is true about Jesus is also true about you. Now, this really matters because uh, one thing that happens to us, especially uh, as we become more aware of who we are in Christ and the Holy Spirit brings conviction, is that we realize often, like, I'm still not perfectly righteous. I don't love like God loves. I betray my Heavenly Father often. Uh, I feel like I let God down in the way that I live and pursue Him because I see myself as so imperfect. And so what happens sometimes is that believers can be beat down and they can like, try, try to start bearing their, their sin and the weight of their sin again. But the reality is is that what's true about Christ is still true about you. You're not defined by your own sin ever again. You're not defined by your failures or your mistakes. You're always in Christ. And no matter where you are spiritually, no matter where your heart is, these realities do not change about you. Now, the state that you're in might change. You might not know the fellowship of the Father. You might not have the joy of the Holy Spirit because you haven't been seeking Him. But nonetheless, all of these things are still true about you. And the moment you turn away from those things that are weighing you down and turn back to God, you experience these things once again. So your experience of them doesn't have anything to do with the reality of them, right? They're still very true about you. And I want you to understand that. Okay, so let's look at some of the examples of the things that you receive when you're in Christ. You receive satisfaction. You receive satisfaction. Satisfaction is so much. When you are thirsty and you get a glass of cold water, how satisfying is that? It's really amazing, right? Ladies, when you've been gone for the week and you come home and your husband's been bacheloring it and then you clean up the house and it's the way you want it to be, how satisfying is that? Guys, uh, when you just need some time in the garage or the workshop or the golf course because life has been too crazy and you just need some peace and quiet doing something that you enjoy, that you love, how satisfying is that? The thing about all of these satisfactions though is they just last a little while. They're just temporary. But Jesus wants to give you a satisfaction that is so much greater than any physical or emotional satisfaction that you can find on this earth. In John six thirty-five, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The one who believes in me will never go hungry, will never be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, is Jesus talking about physical hunger? physical thirst? Not at all. He's talking about spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. He's saying your soul will be satisfied. You know what's amazing is that Jesus was speaking to a crowd that deals with the same things that we deal with, just a different context. See, just before this, Jesus fed 5,000 people, a crowd of 5,000 people with just a little bit of bread, just a little bit of dried fish. And they came back the next day and they were seeking after Jesus. And Jesus knew their hearts and He knew what they were seeking was not satisfaction in Him spiritually, but satisfaction in their lives. That God would bless them and provide for their physical needs. And Jesus said, look, I'm not going to give you another sign. You're here seeking a sign and I'm going to tell you this. The one who believes Me will not go hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. It's not food that you need. It's not drink that you need. It's faith in me that you need. And when you have faith in me, your soul will be deeply satisfying. Satisfied. You will find Jesus satisfying. It's important for us to remember that. Are there things in your life that are dissatisfactory right now? When you turn on the TV and you look at the news, do you find yourself going, gosh, I didn't know the world could be so good. When you look at yourself in the mirror and you look at yourself physically or you think about yourself emotionally and relationally, do you think, I am all that. I'm just everything I ever wanted to be. I have no disappointments and regrets about my life. They should write some books about me. I'm pretty important. Probably not because you're just like me. But when I look at Jesus, when I look at Him and I walk with Him and I know Him, When I believe Him, man, is my soul satisfied. I'm filled to the top and overflowing with the goodness of God. We just sang about that, right? Like, all my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. We make it superlative. You have been the best, Lord. I will sing of the goodness of God. And it's not a fake, right? I mean, it's it's amazing. I've sung that song in tragedy and sorrow, and my soul has been comforted. I've sung that song in mornings like today where it's just amazing, and God's power is evident and almost tangible, and God is still satisfying. Knowing Jesus, having faith in Christ, is the only thing that can satisfy the human soul. Another blessing in Christ, unity. Unity. And unity is something that it's easy to take for granted, but the reality is that one of the things that's plaguing the world that's so hard for all of us is the fracturing, the brokenness that we're experiencing in our society right now, and the brokenness that we see around the world. Some of the world's greatest tragedies have been caused by disunity. Some of the greatest tragedies in the world have been caused by disunity. I'm guessing that maybe some of the greatest tragedies in your life have been caused by disunity. Breakups, losing a friend, arguments with people you love, the differences that we feel in the midst of our diversity. But in Christ, we have unity with all of those who are in Christ. In Galatians, right after 3.27, where it says you've been clothed in Christ, it says there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one In Christ Jesus, there's a spiritual reality of the unity that is in the church. There's a force that's drawing us together, that's urging us to reconcile, to walk in unity with one another, and not just in this local church, but with all churches that are in Christ Jesus, because we have this incredible commonality, this identity in Christ, this Holy Spirit that's inside of us, this future that we hope for, this purpose on this earth, the gifting that we receive, we receive an incredible amount of unity in the church. And look at the barriers that Christ breaks down. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Jews and Gentiles didn't really get along. Not very well at all. Their cultures were phenomenally different. Their faiths were phenomenally different. They fought. They argued. They came to blows. They killed each other. It was some severe and significant racism. God made these enemies one in Christ. The church isn't just multi personal, it's multicultural, right? People from all backgrounds can come together in Christ. Even countries that are warring can have peace in Christ together. I remember uh, the college I went to, we had some guys who were at the college from Africa, and um, this crazy thing. Uh, when they came to college, they're like, We're both from Africa, they were friends, and then their two tribes went to war. Like, they had family members that were killing each other. And on campus, they had peace in Christ. But they said, if we go home, we will have to fight each other. Isn't that wild? This, this breaking that's happening, even in their own country. But while they were at college, this Christian college, they could have peace in Christ. This awesome blessing. Now, neither of them like, were rushing home to go fight and kill other people, right? This, this was a tragedy that this breakdown was happening in their nation, and they grieved it, and we grieved it, and God, God healed that. They didn't, you know, continue to fight forever, but they had peace in Christ. How about slave or free? you see classism around you? Have you ever felt like someone's looking down on you because of what you wear, what you drive, where you live, what you can eat, where you can afford to go out? And that's not a thing in the church. I don't think it's a thing in this church. If you've experienced that, I'm so sorry. Because in Christ, we're all equal. It's not our physical riches that make us who we are. And we're all equal in Christ. In fact, what's funny is that Jesus is really clear. Faith is harder for the wealthy. It's hard to forsake all of those comforts of the world to follow Jesus. And in so many ways, those who are poor end up richer in Christ faster Because they perceive the fullness of the blessings that he's given them. Male or female. Not that gender is erased in Christ, but the inequality that existed in our hearts before is now gone. Sexism isn't a thing in Christ, it shouldn't be a thing in the church. And yet, so often in our culture, it is. In this culture, there's an extreme amount of sexism, gender was everything. Women were discounted everywhere. They were second class or even possessions, much like slaves. And if they had positions of prominence or importance, it was often out of religious superstition. And so while they mattered, their lives were controlled and owned, and they became an object instead of a person. But Paul is saying all of that is washed away, and we are all one in Christ. We have a special form of unity, and it is awesome. I love the fact that I know that as a Christian, when somebody walks through those doors that I know and love, whether they've made the worst mistake of their life or they've just had a terrible week, that it's my job to convey to them the love and unity that we have is still there. And I love that so many of you guys know that too. And I've seen the ministry of that unity, where people make mistakes and they come to their friends in Christ and they confess those mistakes and they discover grace and they discover love and they discover transformation because the unity that we experience is not just theoretical, but real. And it's important that we maintain that. And then next, there's transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old has passed, and see, or behold, the new has come. What's amazing is that when you put your faith in Christ, You are transformed, and who you were before is no longer who you are, and what's amazing is that you do not know what you yet will be, both because God is working in your life to transform you to someone who represents the character of Christ on this earth, but also because you're not glorified yet, right? Some of you are like, I feel pretty glorious today, but we're not glorified in the way that we will be in heaven. Do you remember uh, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? He's up there with uh, three of his favorite disciples, and all of a sudden, they see this vision, this difference, and there's Moses, and there's Elijah, and then they see Jesus glorified, and he's bright and shining, and it's brilliant, and they're like, this is crazy, and they don't know what to do, and then when it ends, they're like, you know, we should probably mark this. This was a religiously significant moment. Let's make some tabernacles here. Let's hang out here for a while and just worship because it's awesome. And Jesus is like, that's not what this is for. And they hear this voice that says, Behold, this is my son. And listen to his words. So it's obey him. Listen to him. He's greater than you know. And then, and then we see John see Jesus in Revelation. And it says that he falls down at his feet and worships Jesus because Jesus is glowing and shining and awesome. And the truth is that's the glorified Christ and he will always be greater than us. And yet each of us in eternity will also be glorified. God says that you eternally shine like the lights in the heavens. And right now when the lights go off, you probably don't glow in the dark, right? But spiritually you do. And one day that spiritual reality will be evident. That layer will be visible to us. And we will see the glory of Christ in our lives. There's this transformation that happens Spiritually, when you put your faith in Christ. And you're not just a physical being then, you're an eternally spiritual being who's been blessed by the Holy Spirit, who's been gifted and empowered by Him, who's been unified with Christ. And so your reality, your life, is different, and that is awesome. You also have all of these massive spiritual blessings. After a little over 20 years of walking in Christ, I'm still trying to understand these things. In Ephesians 1, Paul lists a huge amount of spiritual blessing. He says in Ephesians 1:3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. So which spiritual blessing do you have? Which one are you missing? What if you're not experiencing them? Are they still there? Absolutely, right? And then he goes on and he talks about some of these. In verse 4 he says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So you're chosen You're desired by God. He wants you to be in His family. Isn't that awesome? He says you were chosen to be holy and blameless before Him in love. He chose that when He looks at you, He sees you as separate, as unto Him, and perfected. And that's your spiritual future reality, but He also wants that to be true in your walk, in your life now, so that the way you live becomes more holy and more blameless over time. And for some of us, we think, that doesn't sound very fun. i got to tell you, there's a whole lot of fun in being holy. Being holy doesn't mean being religious. It just means being devoted to God and being purified by Him. Then He adopted us as sons through Christ, so we have an eternal inheritance in Christ. There's blessings laid up for you in the heavenly places that you will experience eternally that are better than anything you can imagine or experience on us in in us on this earth. Not only that, in verse 6 it says that he lavished grace on you. Not just a little bit of grace, but lavishing grace on you. Pouring it over you. Dumping it on your head and into your life. Blessing and favor over and over again. Is there grace for you today? Will there be grace for you tomorrow? Will Will you ever run out of grace if you have faith in Christ? Never ever will you run out of grace. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to His rich grace. Not only that in verse 9, it says that He's revealing to us the mystery of His will. We can intimately know the heart of God and the will of God because we are in Christ Jesus. In 11, it reinforces we have an inheritance in Christ. In verse 13, it says that we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a down payment in our lives and a seal over our lives so that what is true of us in Christ will always be true. So there's nothing that can take that away from us. You remember what the Romans did when Jesus was buried in the tomb? What did they do to the stone that they rolled in place? They put a seal on it. Why did they want to put that seal on it? So Jesus would be stuck in there, right? They didn't want the disciples to get him out. What happened to that seal, by the way? Yeah, God broke the seal, right? The angel rolled away the stone. Did the angel have to roll away the stone for Jesus to get out? No, no, not at all. That was for us to see, right? Well, we think that things get sealed in our lives and that they're shut. But Revelation says that there's only one who can shut things and they're not open. There's only one who can open things and they're not shut. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, behold, I'm sending my Holy Spirit on you. And in Ephesians it says that that Holy Spirit is a seal, and it will never be removed from you. It's holding you in Christ, the envelope seal that no matter how hard you shake it, you can't fall out of Jesus because the Holy Spirit is holding on to you in Christ. In verse eighteen it says that we have the hope of the calling that we have in Christ, that our life will matter, that He's eternally calling us forward, that He won't forget us, that He's faithful, and that His voice is the one that's drawing us into eternity, not our willingness to follow Him. In verse 19, it says there's immeasurable greatness, power, and love in God for those of us who believe. I mean, do you understand that? That you wake up in the morning and you think, I wonder what today holds, and God says, I know, and my power is towards you, and my love is for you. It's really hard to have a bad day when you realize that the king of the universe has your back He's been walking before you and He's going to uphold you in the difficulty that you've faced. Have you experienced that before? In the midst of a difficult season in life, has God come towards you and said, this is my love and you get overwhelmed by how good He is to you and then He says, this is my power and He moves you through the difficulty? You know, our our firstborn son didn't have a heartbeat for seven and a half minutes when he was being born. They rushed my wife out of the room for emergency cesarean section and they threw some paper clothes at me and they said we'll come get you in a minute i, I didn't think i was going to have a kid the the doctors were wigging out so when the doctors wig out you know that the feathers have hit the fan it's a serious moment and it was just me in this room in a day that was supposed to be awesome it was supposed to be the best day and i became a little overwhelmed by the seriousness of what we were facing. And I said, "Well, I, I got to get dressed." so I put on the paper scrubs that they gave me and the little hat and the mask, and then I just stood there, and they said they'd be back in three minutes. They didn't come back in three minutes. They didn't come back in four minutes. They didn't come back in five minutes. They came back in six minutes. I thought it was over when three minutes came, and they weren't there. And then something happened the Lord said, pray. And so I prayed. And I was overwhelmed by the fact that God was with us and that he loved us. And no matter what happened, his power was still towards us and we were going to be okay. Now, you've probably met Elijah. My firstborn son's here, right? When they pulled him out, he had, uh, like Indiana Jones, he'd wrapped the umbilical cord around his neck and his arm so he couldn't leave. We couldn't dislodge him from the womb. And so they had to remove him Forcefully, It was a forceful eviction. Uh, he was no longer wanted in there, um, but he was ignoring the paperwork. <laughs> it, it was a dangerous moment, but God was with us. And, and even, even if Elijah wasn't today with us, God would still be with us because he loves us and his power is towards us. And that's true for you as well. No matter what you're facing in life, God's power is toward you. It is absolutely awesome to be in Christ. I think it's everything in life to be in Christ. I hope that you are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, I hope you know how amazing it is to be in Christ. That it's better than anything else that you can have in life. It's better than anything you can earn. It's better than any trophy you can put on the shelf, any poster you can put on the wall, any line you can put on your resume, any number that you can look on your bank, look at on your bank account. Being in Christ is everything. I have a little bit of homework for you. I'm going to put this in the foyer. And if you wrote your name on your yellow sheet and you're in Christ, as you leave at some point in time, I want you to drop your name in here. I want you to spend a moment thanking God that you're in Christ. But then there's also this sheet. And this sheet has another purpose. I want you to think of somebody who you know who isn't in Christ yet. And I want you to write your name on this sheet. And I want you to stick it in your Bible. Put it on your dashboard by your speedometer. Tape it to your bathroom mirror. And I want you to pray that this person would be drawn to Christ. That Jesus would be pulling them toward himself. And that God would give you opportunity to share about Jesus with them. Would you do that today would you take some time to think about somebody else who you want to be in christ with you and i there's one more group in here maybe you can't put that yellow paper in the envelope today that's okay god loves you it says in his word that he's drawing you near to jesus that you would know him and we're praying for you but maybe today is the day that you put your faith in christ you saw these two older guys put their faith in Christ. You saw that younger guy put his faith in Christ or announce that they put their faith in Christ. If you believe in Christ, you will have everlasting life today. All it takes is for you to talk to God and say, God, I believe in Jesus. And I want the everlasting life that he offers. What's amazing is that you receive it in that moment, not by your works, just by faith alone. Let's pray, and then I'm going to invite Steve Fisher up, who's going to lead us in communion. Lord, thank you for this encouraging word about who we are in Christ. Father, would you help us to see and know what it means to be in Christ more and more. And so often we get busy with life, we forget the things that are most true about us, and we run after things that we think are important but have very little eternal value. Help us to perceive the life that we have in Christ, the importance of our calling, the eternity that we have. And Lord, would our lives become oriented around that first and foremost. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.